Amazon said, we're not going to be in this East Coast, West Coast beef. And they decided to omit the number two altogether. So if you're watching along in real time, I'm so excited, guys. I really need someone to talk to about this. We're either watching Dallas season one, episode 12 called Runaway, or we're watching Dallas season two, episode six called Runaway. This episode is all about the lovely Lucy. Lucy Ewing, the baby of the bunch. And we get some really good insights in it. I'm going to be very real with you. This episode was kind of a dud. I was ready to just kind of omit it from it. It seems like they changed writers or something because we had a like super spaghetti Western type, deep, twisty storylines up until now. And the next couple of episodes are kind of duddy. At least this one was, in my opinion. Last week's was too. But let's jump right into it. I like to drink something effervescent every time I watch this show because I feel like bubbles deserve bubbles. I feel like if you bring the right ingredients, the show will follow. So today I am drinking a sparkling water. Sparkling water is my jam, in case you haven't noticed. I really enjoy water in its different forms. Anything in a glass bottle, I'm probably... I tend to try it. So this is from a brand called Glow, and this is their sparkling hydration in the flavor mango apricot. And I have some crushed ice, and I'm just gonna pour it over that. It's summer, it's warm, or at least where I'm at, it's super warm, so I would encourage you to do the same. Okay. It's really pretty. It's probably not the brightest idea to drink sparkling water when you record because it does make you a little bit gassy, but I really don't care. It's my jam. I have a little bit of sliced dragon fruit to help me get through this. Let's go ahead and talk about the lovely Lucy Ewing. Y'all, this one is good. It is delightful. Okay, Lucy. First things first, this episode definitely feels like it's out of it's, it's out of pocket. It's not the same level of drama. It's not as well written as the other episodes. It's very shallow. And I've noticed since maybe episode five, ever since right before the barbecue, Lucy has become more and more childlike. It's as if they use the first five episodes to, you know, paint her as this little Lolita. She's ignored by her family until Pam gets there. Pam steps in and she is the the mother figure in her life more so than Ellie, if I'm going to argue because Ellie seems out of touch. Ellie also didn't mind that Lucy's dad is a deadbeat and that they high key have known where he was all this time, but they just let him be because he likes to drink and he can't handle pressure. It's it's horrible. Granted, this is the TV show, but I'm going to give you my real raw and unreal, my real feelings about every episode. So Lucy has become more little kid like they're giving her these zingers to say during the show. Like last episode, she wanted to go visit. Hey, can I go visit the home for wayward boys? And it's all yuck, yuck, yuck. Who would champion that? What sort of family would know that this little girl is mad promiscuous and they're cool with it? She doesn't go to school. She doesn't know anything. But in this particular episode, she if I remember right, she's 18. They never actually say the number. But in previous episodes, when y'all remember when she seduced her teacher, when she was at the club in the middle of the night doing God knows what with God knows who. Yeah, she's about 18. And it starts out, it shows you that Ellie and Pam and Pam, no, not Pam, Ellie and Sue Ellen are planning her birthday. 
She wants this band called the Coffins from Austin. They don't agree with that. They're actually using Lucy's birthday as a way to rub elbows with some politicians that they need to get on board with each other so that the Ewing family can continue their reign. She she figures this out pretty quickly. She goes upstairs because Pam bought her some dresses and she overhears JR saying that he's going to use this to do exactly that. He's going to bring two politicians together at Lucy's birthday party. So it's just a facade. It's just a facade and she's feeling a way about this. She doesn't want to be used. She doesn't want to be a pawn. She wants to have a good birthday. Unfortunately, that's not the case. At some point, she goes downstairs and she sees a letter from her mom and it changes her entire mood. You have to remember that this child is living with her father's family without her father. And she knows for a fact that her family is the biggest reason that she and her mom aren't reunited. Also that her family is the biggest reason that her parents aren't together, which I, I sort of disagree with. We'll ignore that for the moment. So she does what any poor little rich girl would do. She goes downstairs and she asks her grandfather if she can invite her mom to her birthday party. Like mom was there a couple weeks ago when their deadbeat son was there and she, she caused no drama. She did nothing. But she writes this letter, I, Valine, Valencia, Valine, I think is her name. Anyway, she writes this letter to Lucy explaining that she didn't take any money. She explains that JR offered her money and Lucy believes her because you know what takes one to know one. She's a Ewing. She's lived with them this whole time and she understands how the game is played. When Jock rejects her, Lucy decides that she's going to run away, but she's a rich girl. You know what I'm saying? I'm not saying that first off, running away is not something I would make light of. Running away, escaping a situation that you feel like is too much to bear is nothing to make light of. However, this is a soap opera, so I'm going to be a little bit catty. She runs away. She takes JR's car, which has her name on the back of it. It says Ewing three or five or whatever. She steals it and she gets on the road thinking, I'm going to go to San Antonio to talk to my mom. Here's where the plot holes begin. Let's do a little geography lesson. So if you were to take I-35 South, it takes about five hours to get to San Antonio. I watched this episode twice and it looks like she left in the middle of the night. So she obviously should have been there first thing in the morning. However, she wasn't. So perhaps she left at like 6 a.m. Lucy gets on the road. She takes JR's car. She gets to this little road stop where she is quickly identified, or at least the car is quickly identified by some cops. So she decides that that's probably not the best idea for her anymore. And she decides that she's going to hitch a ride with this really cute drifter. Y'all, no judgment. He's cute. He's cute, cute. This little smiley guy walks into the the rest stop that she's at. She's eating her breakfast. He's smiling at her. She's smiling at him. She looks out of the window. She sees a cop. She's like, oh, crap. What am I going to do? She grabs her guitar, which we've never seen up until now. But hey, it's the first season. And she scurries out back. She leaves a $20 tip on the table. She She leaves. Well, pretty boy comes strolling in. He sees her. He sees that she's nervous and he puts two and two together because you know what? It takes one to know one. So he grabs the $20. He pays the ticket and he takes the change and he basically goes about his way. 
Now, the interesting thing about this pretty boy is that he is in a van. He's in what we would call all of you 80s babies, 90s kids, millennials know the phrase <laughs> stranger danger. And I'm sure you Gen Z's do too. But for I've never met a millennial who'd never heard the man and the white man story. So it's basically a man and the white man, except the van is green and it's got this green sunburst. So we've got an array of green. We've got olive. We've got moss. We've got that kind of brown tingy. We've got hunter green. This kid is driving a full on Scooby-Doo van with a orange slash green sunburst on the side of it. And here's the best part. I didn't know this was a thing. This kid's van is lined. Every inch except the wheel is covered in carpet. He's got two inch shag carpet on the roof, on the door, on the floor. He's got six inch white shag carpet on the dashboard. Was this a thing? No, I'm serious. Seriously. Seriously. All of you old heads, anyone who was true to this, who saw this in real time, or who has a better memory of the early or the late 70s? Did y'all really put carpet on the dashboard? I remember those hideous bras for cars, like in the early to mid 90s. Do you guys remember that? My mom had a Pontiac and she thought it was so cool when she put a bra on it. Could not tell you to this day what that bra did. It just collected bug dust, but she was really impressed with it. She thought it was everything. I also want to go ahead and say this. I'm not clowning any part of the 70s, 80s, or well, the 80s, yes. If you look back a couple episodes, I hate the 80s. I do. I just feel like it was a big mistake. I feel like it was a fever dream that went on for far too long, a fantasy that never fully manifested even today in 2022. But the 70s, I kind of get where y'all were going with it. Y'all were fly, y'all were dope, y'all were glamorous. I love it. I'm not making fun of anything. I'm not faking fun of the shag carpet in the van. Honest to God, I didn't know that was a thing. I knew shag carpet. First off, shag carpet and that there were only like three colors. There's like the orange, the brown, and kind of that gold. Well, no, orange, brown, and green. I guess it would be green, which is what this kid has in his van. It's so weird. I'm not judging you. Listen. As a millennial, I have to explain frosted tips for no reason. I have to explain Jinko jeans. Jinko jeans. I have to explain why we thought we were dressing up as our grandparents when we were three, as we were older. I have to explain why we felt like body glitter was popping. Why white eye, white eyeliner was a thing. Why bandanas for no... Listen... I got a lot to explain to my kids and it's, I don't fully feel like I can come up with a good explanation, but let's get back to the story. So Lucy and pretty boy, Ricky, whose name is Gus guest. No, Willie guest, Willie guest. I thought he said Willie Gus at first, but I put on the subtitles, Willie guest. She's talking to him and she's basically lying, saying that she stole JR's car. She knew them. Her family used to work for them, this, that, and the third, and they had more than they needed. So she took it. And this is all this kid needs to fall in love. He's like, oh my God, yes, yes. Somebody finally understands my life as a renegade. I still crap. She still crap. We are a match made in heaven. And she's telling him at first too. Until the conversation, if you can imagine, between Waco and San Antonio, it's probably two and a half hours. She's like, hmm, this ain't quite what I thought it was going to be. Turns out that Pretty Willie is a kleptomaniac. 
They finally get to San Antonio. She goes into this restaurant where her mom must have included in the letter. And she speaks to the manager who tells her that her mother is no longer employed there. She quit. She quit. And she was going on and on about Austin. Let's get to the facts first. So Lucy's hearing this and she tells a guy who she is. I'm Lucy. I'm looking for my mom. Ill na 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 na. Well, pretty Willie is in the background being a spaz. He decides this is a perfect opportunity to rob this place. So that's exactly what he does. He types in almost to the code. They didn't have passcodes in 1978. He opens the old fashioned register that I swear to you is the same register they used in the Titanic when people bought their tickets. He dunk, 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 dunks, opens it, steals the money. And Lucy is just appalled like, yo, I didn't, what, what is this? So she's looking at the manager who's looking at her like, oh my God, you set me up. And she's like, no, I didn't set you up. I don't, I don't understand what's going on. And pretty Willie snatches her out and they go on this, this trek throughout the state. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, the family is still planning her birthday party as if nothing has happened. Jock is feeling away because he sees that she's ran away. JR is pissed that she took his car and Bobby decides he's going to be the hero they put two and two together. She got a letter from her mom, Vaseline, Valvine, Valvoline. I don't know what her name is. V. And he decides he's going to go down to San Antonio and get her. The rest of the episode is what you would call a likely story. Bobby is always just a couple minutes behind this couple. The kid, he's, he's basically a little bit unhinged. He's just having a really good time. He is what we would call today young and restless. He doesn't really have a name. He's just doing these things because he can. Eventually, he figures out that Lucy is not Lucy, whatever her fake mask name was. She's Lucy Ewing. He puts two and two together after Bobby has called everybody in the state to basically, you know, put out a bolo for the van, which is super obvious. La, la, la. He sucker punches the kid to get Lucy's back. It just strikes me as odd because... I expected this to be super, super wholesome, but ultimately Lucy is acting out because nobody in her family cares what she does one way or another. Before Pam, she could, she could sleep with Ray. She could do X, Y, and Z. And all they were really concerned with was buying her things and not making her upset. And it goes to show you in the episode called Reunion where no one actually checked Gary for being a deadbeat dad. It was just assumed that, you know what? Ellie's going to raise her. She's going to be Gucci golden and perfect. We don't need to worry about that. It was really, really whack. She's acting out in every way. As far as soap lore goes for this show, I don't know what that in, that turns out to be. With her being a poor little rich girl, obviously I would expect her to just repeat this pattern until the end of the series. It is very, okay, she's either going to repeat this pattern over and over and over again, or she's going to become a nun. It'll be one extreme or the other, but in this, within within a soap opera, this storyline is such a, a throwaway storyline. Like it, it just can't last long because she's not always going to be super young. She's not always going to have the benefit of the doubt. And eventually you've got to lock her down in a marriage that's toxic or you've got to have her have a baby. So far, after the first five episodes, she's been like a footnote. It's been extremely corny. Like this is a beautiful girl. 
I forgot to tell y'all the beginning of this episode, she's basically walking around in her. <laughs> oh, oh my God. There's two things I forgot to tell you. In this episode, not only does Lucy saunter around in her bathing suit, a la Sue Ellen, a few episodes ago, she also has a song and dance number. So homeboy Willie withdraws has basically kidnapped her at this point and they're in Austin and lucky for them. They've already robbed a couple people. They have JR's credit card, so they can basically buy whatever they want. But no, this isn't good enough for Willie withdrawals. What Willie wants is for Lucy to sing in this here contest. They see a billiard or a billboard that says $100 prize money for the best singer. Mind you, it's lunch. It, it, let, let, let's, let's rewind. Let's do our little geography lesson. If Lucy did indeed leave at Can't See in the Morning, she would have arrived in San Antonio by 10 or 11 a.m. Once she discovered that her mom was no longer in San Antonio, San Antonio to Austin is not an all-day trip. That's like two hours max. They drive to San Antonio, so that would have her there right after lunch. Luckily for them, there's a midday contest looking for America's next best country western singer. Well, luckily, Lucy's got her hair rolled. She's got that guitar They go inside the bar, much to her chagrin, until it is they put a microphone in her hand. This is the second Ewing woman within five episodes who's been, who's had to perform a number under duress. Only Lucy has no problem with that. She's not even holding that guitar she's been lugging around for the last six hours. So she sings a country and Western number. And right after that, there's a whole shootout, bang, 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 blah, 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 to get her back. Meanwhile, the family would have had to have had this birthday party at high noon or later. They're all pretending like she's just upstairs or she's just away. She's not coming to the party. How absolutely sadistic and weird is that? It's so weird. Like they never fully acknowledge it, but it just goes to show that birthday, it it doesn't mean it was a vehicle for a bribe, basically. But lucky for all of us, Lucy got to sing her country western song and dance and we'll never fester in the fact that she never picked up her guitar. <laughs> Y'all, don't trip. My One of my favorite movies growing up is Urban Cowboy. To this day, if it comes on, I stop everything and I watch it. All in all, this was a dud. This seems like a filler episode. The next one is a little bit better, but not so much. But as promised, I wanted to fill you guys in on the the inspiration for this beautiful soap opera. Before I do that, let's tie up a few loose ends with Lucy. No one cares what she does. They barely notice she exists. No one wants to upset her. Both her parents are deadbeats. I said what I said, and I can't wait to see how that Here's the thing. I feel like it will play. It has to like why introduce characters and not bring them up again. But I really would like to see how the dad, the Gary, the the, the missing Ewing, the spare Ewing plays into the story. Because like I said, she's you can only drag this out for so long. If she's reckless this young, they very rarely straighten up soon. I would expect a lifetime of drama before we see any sort of straightening up with her. I'm going to tell you the inspiration behind Dallas. Now, a couple of different websites had a little bit of a conflicting, conflicting story as to who JR was based on. A lot of people said it was Ray Hunt. 
But Ray seems to be too mild-mannered to be him. Ray is probably Bobby, if we're going to go here. But the story is actually based on a guy named H.L. Hunt. Now, H.L. Hunt is a Texas tycoon. He and his family are, for real to this day, billion heirs. But here's a T. Allegedly, H.L. Hunt had three families, and they were all hidden from each other for a, a certain amount of time. I find this to be extremely hard to believe, because if we think about Dallas... The size of it now, it was not like that 40 or even 50 years ago. It was a lot more country. And before this episode, before the the series, not to say the series is a reason for the booming metropolis that it is today, but it wasn't that deep. You know what I'm saying? Can you imagine a man, a wealthy man at that? This isn't Joe Blow from down the road. This isn't your farmer. This isn't your fisher. This is an actual billion, billion with a B as in baby heir being married any move he made the whole town would know about it i listen y'all i live in texas my whole life i understand this you can't sneeze and fart in the wind without somebody knowing about it anyway hl hunt he allegedly had three families and he kept them hidden from each other but y'all get this he had a total of 15 children 15 this man juggled three wives and 15 children but here's the thing Just because he was a little bit wild, he was a little bit promiscuous, doesn't mean he didn't take care of his family. He set up a trust for each and every one of them. And for the most part, most of his family did really, really good. But here is where it gets a little bit sticky. He allegedly came into money around 1930. Sound familiar? Of course it does. It only gets worse from here. So he was already kind of drilling in oil, finding things. He wasn't that, I mean, he was a cool, but he wasn't that good. And enter this guy named Columbus Joyner, a.k.a. Dad. And they call him Dad because he's, quote unquote, the father of the East Texas oil boom. So Columbus is this guy who is he's who does it sound like? He's actually really good at what he does. He's digging all over Arkansas, certain parts of Texas, East Texas specifically, where a lot of investors didn't believe there was any oil. They thought he it was a fool's errand, basically. So a lot of people counted off Columbus. However, not only was he right, he was the right kind of right. He was so right that there are people breathing oxygen to this day who are benefiting off of his good nose. Sound familiar? So around 1930, Columbus is drilling wells all over East Texas and In order to keep up this endeavor, he has to borrow a lot of money. He borrows money from wealthy investors. Now, the wells that he's drilling aren't really keeping up with the debt that he's he's accruing. So he's making money. He's just not making enough money to be in the pink. So he starts selling off stock certificate way more than he actually can pay back. He's, He's fluffing up the numbers a little bit, if you will. So one day... Around 1930, this is in late fall or early fall, a will call the Daisy Bradford number three blew a gusher. And now a gusher is in your mind what you would think it is. Picture a whale spewing through its hole. It is when oil is raining from the sky through this particular well. And it, it is basically money. Every drop of precious oil that hits the ground is money. So this is awesome. This is great news. This is amazing. Because with a gusher, that means that you're able to produce enough oil that he can pay back all of his debtors. Only unfortunately for him, 
That's not the case. He's in so deep that he only gets to enjoy the fruits of his labor for about two months. Now, the the lucky benefactor of this downfall is, of course, HL. HL buys this particular lease from him for about a million dollars, but he buys it from him so that Joiner can go ahead and pay off all of his debts. Only it just produces so much oil that HL becomes a billionaire off of this. It's crazy. As far as I can tell through my research, Joiner, he didn't die broke, but he definitely didn't drive. He didn't die wealthy. And it's sad because it sounds exactly like a Digger and Jock situation where Jock was the money and Digger was a skill. I don't blame the Joiner guy because ultimately he was he was new in his field. There weren't a lot of people who were able to to figure out this whole oil game, but he did. So he has a legacy. He just doesn't have a legacy of being a billionaire. It turned out so good for H.L. Hunt. He actually brought up about 5,000 acres surrounding that one well, and they're still producing to this day. Now, the the three family part, I looked into that a little bit more because I just found it so, how is it possible to, to have three different families? Well, here's how. All right, so picture this. It's 1955 and HL, his wife, his first official wife, allegedly. I hate saying this, guys, but just keep up. I promise it'll make sense later. His wife, Lida, L-Y-D-A, Lida, if I'm mispronouncing that, I'm sorry, has passed away. She passed away a couple months ago. And their daughter, H.L. and Lida's daughter, Margaret, stops by the house, which, by the way, is an exact replica of Mount Vernon. She goes in and she sees Ruth, who was a secretary for H.L. Not totally unusual. But by the end of the day, Margaret discovers that H.L. and Ruth have a whole family. They have four kids together. She's like basically living at the house because they have four kids together. And the the daughter is sick to her stomach. She's so sick to her stomach. Mind you, this is 1955. She does not set foot in that house again until 2002. And even then she had to be wheeled in by her son. She was just like, I'm so done with you. I'm over it. And she felt extra betrayed because about 13 years before that, her dad had taken her I forget where they were. They were in another town. He takes her to this hotel where she meets this lady named, her last name is Ty. After talking to the lady for a few minutes, she figures out that this woman, her first name is Frania, I believe, Frania or Frania, married a guy named Frank Hunt. Frank Hunt doesn't exist because ain't no Frank. Frank is HL. He lied. So he married her in Oklahoma. He married Frania. They have four kids together. Frania figures out that Oh, wait, you got a whole family. Maybe she knew about both families. And so she was going to expose him. And in order to keep her from exposing him, he brought his little girl so that she would have sympathy and be like, if you ruin me, if you expose me, I could go away. I can't take care of our kids. I can't take care of little Margaret. So this is the second time this has happened. She's putting this together like, dude, you had three families sick to her stomach. Isn't that crazy, though? Lida knew about the other families. And she would hide $100 bills inside her balls of yarn because she figured out he had another family and she needed that mad money to get away if anything were to happen. Anyway, guys, that part is super crazy. But the latter hunts, I mean, they have a little drama here and there, but it's nothing like the TV show. What do you think? Does that sound like 
Dallas? Does it seem like that's what they based the show off of? Either way, it is time for me to go. I have really enjoyed talking to you guys today. Remember, keep all your drama on TV and I will talk to you next week.